Um, so we've been away from home the last two Sundays. Uh, we actually filled in for a very small church. This is hilarious. This church is smaller than my connect group, okay? So I preached the last two weekends um, at this church. We filled in. They do not have a pastor. And Danita played the piano for those weeks. And it just reminded us of like 30 years ago when we first started off uh, into ministry. If you've never met my wife, my bride, I want to introduce to you. This is Mrs. Danita Parker. Would you welcome her? And so we're going to continue in the middle of the home series and, and talk about marriage. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about why is marriage so great. We don't have any material for that yet. And today, today we have plenty of material. Why is marriage so hard? So I want you to turn to the person to your left and to the right and say, why is marriage so hard? Ask the person beside you. So about um, two and a half weeks ago, I was really excited to be able to go away with Kurt for a couple weeks, and I knew we would be working on these messages. And I also knew without a doubt that the person that I was sitting beside on the plane was not coincidental. As we started off, I began talking to this um, young 27-year-old girl, and she was asking me, um, you know, where are you going? I told her our destination, and she said, well, are you going by yourself? And I said, oh, no, my husband's in the back of the plane. And he was back there making friends, uh, five or two new best friends at this point. And she said, oh, okay. And she said, how many years have you been married? And I said, well, I think she expected me to stay maybe 5, 10, 12 years. And I said, 32 years. And she stopped. And her jaw dropped. And she just looked at me like in disbelief. And I said, what, you've never met anybody that's been married that long? And she said, well, really, no, I haven't. She said, my parents have been married for 30-some years. And she said, they're absolutely miserable. She said, they should never have gotten married in the first place. And she said, I have two older sisters, and we have all agreed that none of us are getting married after watching what our parents went through. So on this trip, um, she began to tell me what it was like in her home and what she endured and what she saw. And she asked me at the end, just about to land, and she said, you know, have I asked you, are you happy? And I said, yeah, I am happy. So we've had some <laughs> we've had some good years and some years that have not been so great, some kind of, kind of tough seasons. But we have been determined with God's help that we are going to stay committed to our vows. So at this small church, after the first Sunday, the word got out that we were doing two messages back here on why is marriage so great and why is marriage so hard. And so the church people, there were 43 people the first Sunday. There were 68 the second Sunday. My connect group is bigger than this church. <laughs> but they, they proceeded to help us with this message. And so one lady, been married a long time, comes by the parsonage house, knocks on the door, comes in, and, and just shared basically her life and her life story. I did a wedding while I was there. I know that surprises everybody. Um, I did a marriage wedding renewal while I was there. And um, this couple had been married now for 10 years, and they just talked about how it's been disaster. The, the 10 years were just so, so challenging. There was another couple that had been married for a long time, and they were on the brink of divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, 
You know, I thought that it would be good for us to talk about um, some of our differences. Do you think that would be important? Well, let's talk about Google first. Okay, yeah, why don't we do that? Let's do Google. Go (laughs) ahead. We decided to Google, why is marriage so hard? And this is what we came up with. Number one, family problems. Number two, anger. Number three, addictions. Number four, lack of respect. Number five, lack of emotional understanding. Number six, lack of quality time. Number seven, sexual dissatisfaction. Number eight, dishonesty. Number nine, financial issues. And number ten, communication gaps. Why do you think marriage is so hard? I mean, you you come from different backgrounds. You have different values. There are different expectations. You certainly have different personalities. Could it be like there's two very selfish immature people who have all these blind spots from childhood that all of a sudden you're trying to throw in kids and conflict and your idea of success and how do you manage your money and you mesh together a marriage. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem, but it's not the problem. We're going to surface the problem in a few minutes, but now let's take a look at some of our differences. All right, so we are two incredibly different people, which those of you that know us well, you know that. But let me just kind of highlight that for you. First of all, she's spontaneous. He's strategic. She's a peacemaker. He stirs it up all the time. (laughs) She's adventuresome. He's very calculated. She quietly eases into the morning. He storms like a bull, trust me. Really? Yes. Uh, She likes the lights on, the blinds open. He likes it very dark. She's common sense. And he's very book smart. She colors with outlines. He colors in the lines. She's into details. And he's into the big picture. She's patient. He's still working on that. (laughs) She's on time. He's early. When hurt, she gets quiet. When hurt, he gets really loud. She gets energized by being alone. And he gets energized with lots of people, like on an airplane. I like to laugh with her. And I laugh at him. (laughs) Now, that's not even the whole list, all right? We we could go on for days with this. But that happens in a marriage, and very quickly you begin to surface your differences, and you begin to ask yourself this question, did I marry the wrong person? Say that out loud with me. Did I marry the wrong person? One more time. Did I marry the wrong person? It's easy to ask that, and it's easy to reach to that conclusion. So I want to share with you right now a marriage in the Bible where there were some extreme differences. David um, is coming out to the battlefield, and he sees his brothers, and he hears Goliath defying the armies of the living God. Forty days, Goliath does this. And now, David asks this question, if I kill the giant, what will I get if I take him out? They said three things. Number one, you'll get money. Number two, your family will be exempt from taxes in Israel. And number three, you will get the king's daughter in marriage. Here's part of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Look at this. Look at the screen. Saul was afraid of David. Now, why was Saul afraid of David? Because after David killed Goliath, he became a great warrior. And the people would sing this song, Saul has slain his what? 
thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And after this, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel. In other words, Saul had no intentions of honoring him with the oldest daughter, which gave him family rights. Saul gave this daughter away to somebody else. Look at the next verse of Scripture. Now Saul's daughter Michael was in love. Don't miss that. Say that with me. Now Saul's daughter Michael was in love. All three of you, again. Now Saul's daughter Michael was in love. Don't miss this. She was in love. She was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Great, right? They repeated these words to David. But David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I am only a poor man and and little known. And when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. I need to just leave this alone right there. <laughs> to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. David took his men with him, and he went out and he killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. Now, I wanted to show pictures, but Danita vetoed that, all right? I thought it was a great idea. I mean, can you imagine who counted all these and whose job was it to put them in the bag? I mean, my mind just wanders at this point. I'm sorry. If you're a guest, you should have gone to the Lutheran church this morning. They count out the full number to the king. I mean, some guys counting them. I mean, I can just see this. This cracks me up. They count out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, in marriage. Now, here's where the plot thickens. Because at this point, several years go by. And now David is now fleeing from his life from Saul. Michael helps him flee. She hides him. And now David's gone. And the years go by. And Michael is now married to somebody else. She's married to a guy named Paul Teal. In the meantime, David marries six different wives. Not one, not two. At this point in the story, David's got six wives. Several years now have gone by. And here's where the plot thickens. A commander of Saul's household named Abner realizes that David's going to be the new king. It's not going to come from the house of Saul because Saul's house is getting weaker and weaker and weaker, but David's house is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so Abner goes over to David and says, look, I know that your household is going to become the monarchy and you're going to become the new king. And I will help you bring the monarchy into the great city of Jerusalem. And David says, okay, I'll do it on one condition. Here's the condition out of 2 Samuel chapter 3. Good, David said to Abner, I will make an agreement with you 
but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael. Oh, wait a minute. You already got six wives. That was 10 years ago. She's already married to somebody else. There's another alliance that's already been formed with, with Paul Teal. I'm not coming unless you bring me Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. All right? And then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michael. Well, she's not your wife anymore. Whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paul Teal, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way. Paul Teal is following behind this little chariot deal all the way, asking, begging, pleading to have Michael to be his wife. And Abner says to him, go back home because you're not going to get her. So he went back home. Now, don't miss the next part. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is going to come into the great city of Jerusalem, wearing only, I'm going to insert the word only, wearing only a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and with sounds of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, there she is, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. Why is she watching? Why is she up in the tower? Why? This is the inauguration. Why isn't she on stage? Why isn't she front and center? Why is she watching from the window? All the other wives are down front. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him. Why? Did he really love her? Or was she just that trophy wife that he wanted to have and come and be back in the kingdom with him? She despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, and notice the sarcasm. I know it's never happened in your home, but just listen to this sarcasm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Now, it's always good to bring in the in-laws in an argument. <laughs> a heated discussion, it always gunny sack the in-laws. It always makes things better, right? Yeah. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. And I will celebrate, listen to the pride in David, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls who you spoke of, they think I'm hot. <laughs> they think I'm cool. I will be held in even higher honor. And Michael, and look at this last, last verse. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Most Bible scholars, most Hebrew scholars believe it has nothing to do with infertility. She was not invited back to the chamber of David ever again. Now here you have two people who feel totally unloved. How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand now, but if you've been married, if you're a woman in this room, 
There's a time, a period, that you have felt totally unloved by your spouse. And maybe even this morning, you do not feel loved by your husband. If you're a man, you've been married, there's a time in your marriage where you have felt unloved. And maybe it's this morning. Maybe even this morning, you don't feel that you're loved. It's much, much bigger than their differences. It is much bigger than their differences. The problem is not their differences. The problem is um, something much bigger. You know, we were attracted to each other because of our differences. And a lot of times that happens within couples. You're attracted because of your differences. The problem is, is that we often look for our spouse to complete us. And therein lies the problem. Maybe at marriage ceremonies, you've heard it said, you will complete one another. But this is absolutely not true, because if it were true, then all single people would be incomplete and all married people would be complete. But I know a lot of single people who are very complete and a lot of married people who are very incomplete. incomplete. Um, Let's dig a little deeper in Proverbs 19, uh, verse 22. It says, what a person desires is unfailing love. Say that with me. What a person person desires desires is unfailing love. The word desires here is a very deep, deep craving. See, each one of us desires, we crave that unfailing love within within our hearts, within our souls. And the problem is that we're looking for this love that is unconditional and unwavering and radical and broader than the horizon and deeper than the sea. And we begin by searching for it in another person. And that's the problem. So why is marriage so hard? Well, we first begin by looking to the person to give us that unfailing love. You may go from person to person and perhaps from spouse to spouse, and you never find it. You always hit a dead end until you call out and cry out to God for that unfailing love. Um, It's interesting that the Bible mentions this unfailing love 32 other times, and none of these are directed toward a husband or a wife. They all refer directly to God's unfailing love. Let's look at a quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, No love of the natural heart is safe unless the human heart has been satisfied by God first. So we see here that we are not free to love until we have found love. And it's not wrong for us to think that we are desperate for this love because as we just read in Proverbs 19.22, that we all desire, we crave this unfailing love. But we're always and forever going to be disappointed unless we seek for that unfailing love from God our Father and not from another person. So the reason that we have felt unloved in marriage... The reason you felt unloved in this relationship, possibly you're looking to your spouse to give you what only God himself can do. Mm -hmm. Only God himself can give you that unfailing love. Your spouse can't give you unfailing love as your heavenly father can. Mm -hmm. So I've got some fill-ins for the bulletin. I want to just kind of summarize what we were trying to say this morning. If if you're a note taker and you want to fill these in, here we go with the very first one. Here's the first one. Your perceived problem is really not your problem. Your perceived problem is, well, maybe I just married the wrong person. Well, if I just marry the right person, I'll have a better life. My perceived problem is we're we're just different. We just have different values. We're just different people. She's just this way. He's just this way. But really, that's not your problem. 
most people, and those pastors in the room right now, we've had a front row seat to this. Most people perceive a problem. It's not the real problem. Here's another part. Number two, your spouse was not designed to complete you. I don't know exactly when we figured that out, but it took a while. But your spouse can't complete you. It's not something that he or she is capable of doing. It's what only your heavenly father can do. Number three, your spouse was designed to compliment you. Now, by the word compliment, it means that the two of you make a better product. If you have kids, you're better parents. If you don't have kids or you're in a season without kids, whatever it is, that the two of you together, you make each other better. I I am to make her better. She definitely makes me better. But that's the point. The spouse is not to complete, but the spouse has come along to compliment. And number four, this complimenting, though, and here's the part that we want to dig into for the next five minutes. So if you're not really with us, wake up, punch your neighbor, because this is the most important part. The complimenting flows out of your deep, abiding, unshakable relationship with God. I want to say that one more time. The complimenting flows out of your deep, abiding, unshakable relationship with God. Yeah, and later in David's life, he figured this out. In Psalm 62, let's read this together. It says, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. So what would it be like if every day, each and every one of us would take um, His advice? And we realize that our soul, our minds, our wills, our emotions will only find rest in God alone. What if we took all of our concerns, all of our hurts, all of the needs that we have that are so deep? And it's interesting that he's never going to be overwhelmed by them. I know at times Kurt may be overwhelmed by my needs and I may be overwhelmed by his. But he is the only one who will never be overwhelmed by the depth and the length of your needs. On down in verse 8 of Psalm 62, it says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to God, for God is your refuge. So here's Danita, and here's me. And we're empty cups. Let me just start with Danita. What if Danita, every day of her life, came to the Heavenly Father and said, I want you to fill me up? And this is where prayer comes in. This is where scripture comes in. This is where a fast comes in. This is where church attendance comes in. This is where all these things come to play, where your spiritual life, you're studying the scriptures, you're having a quiet time, you're connecting with your heavenly Father. What if every day, the first part of the day, Danita gets full and filled up with the Lord Jesus Christ? What if every day I do the same thing? I, I, I too, am an empty cup. I come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, gosh, I need you. I need your help. I confess my sins. I'm struggling. I'm praying. I'm reading. I love that Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in you alone. I I come and I get myself refilled. This is what we think makes a great marriage. It's when Danita's full of God and I'm full of God and and she comes into our life and I I come into her life and all of a sudden now I'm complimenting her. And, and, And because I'm complimenting her, there's an overflow in our lives and in our marriage. It's exactly the same thing with me. Because I'm already full of God, I'm not asking her to complete me. 
I'm not asking her to fill me up. I'm already full. So here's me. I come to the marriage, and now Danita comes because she's full of God. And all of a sudden now, it's just, it's just the overflow of what God can do in our lives. It's that unfailing, unconditional love that God has for each and every one of us. I think that's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 4. Look at John chapter 4. Jesus says this. He says, whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. And indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And so every day, we we go to the well, which is Christ. He said pretty much the same thing in John chapter 6. Here's what he says in John 6. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our daughter was married this past October. And when we did the bridal shower for Erica, you know, you play those traditional bridal shower games. And I decided that we would ax those and we would not do those at, the, at this particular shower. I, I thought, let's just make this a time of encouragement. Let's just give, pour out words of encouragement, words of wisdom and, and scripture that could help her as she prepares for this journey of marriage. And I gave her the illustration of the North Cascades in the state of Washington. If you've ever seen or visited any of those trees, they're quite large. In fact, some of them are 200 years and plus old. And one of the reasons the trees survive so long is quite simple. It's because the Washington forests are so saturated, they're so wet, that lightning strikes cause very few fires. The strikes still come, but they're not as devastating. And I told Erica, I said, Erica, this is like a perfect picture of marriage. Even the strongest of marriages, they're going to be struck by lightning. You're going to be faced with all kinds of issues. But if you, Erica, and you, Jeff, are saturated with his unfailing love as individuals and as a couple, then when the strikes come, the conditions will not be ripe for a devastating fire. Well, let's go back to the girl on the plane. We were just about to land, and she'd asked me, you know, what, what, what's the one word of advice, actually? She said, is there something that you can tell me that would help me with my life? And she said, I just asked someone in the bathroom, do you have one word of advice? And they said, take your makeup off every night and pay off your credit cards. And I said, well, that, you know, those are, that's good advice, but let me share with you something that I think that will change your life forever. And I said, would you, if you would make this one habit, um, if you would form this in your life every day, and you would take everything that's on your heart and your mind and your, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and all of your needs, which are so great. We all have such great needs. And if you would do that every day before your Heavenly Father, you would change the course of your life forever. And if your life was saturated with his unfailing love, then you would not be ripe for devastation. That's why, look at the next fill-in. That's why this is the most important quest of your life. Your greatest discovery is the love of your life. If you're single this morning, this is your greatest discovery. If you're married this morning, this is your greatest discovery. The greatest discovery is coming to God with that empty cup, saying, help me, fill me. I want to be full of you. I I want to make a difference in this world. I want you to transform and change me. And that's what, to us, is so exciting is to be able to have that discovery of that love, personal relationship 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you need a miracle today. Miracles are made out of need. We want to pray for you right now because maybe, maybe you need a miracle. Well, that's God's specialty. When you need something from your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father wants to give it to you. And so um, I'm going to ask right now if um, husbands and wives will just kind of, why don't you come join me, just kind of um, hold hands, husbands and wives. And um, we'll all stand in just a minute, but right now I just want to ask all the married folks in this room to stand up. Hold hands if you would and stand up. And we're going to pray over you and pray for you. Why don't you start? Want to pray for the ladies? Okay. Father, we come to you this morning. And we come to you as your daughters. We come to you asking for you to fill us up because we're thirsty, Lord. We come to you realizing that nothing can satisfy us as you do. And Lord, we come confessing that we've tried a lot of other things. And we always hit a dead end wall. So Father... This morning, we reject all the insinuations, all the accusations, all the temptations of Satan to deceive us into thinking that another person or a possession will ever take the place of your unfailing love. So, Father, I lift up every one of these ladies to you this morning. Father, I bring the husbands before you. First of all, forgive us. We come to repent because we've not sought first your unfailing love. We've probably sought the love of our spouse to complete us. But God, we come today, maybe empty, maybe half full, maybe overflowing, but we come today to say, it's your unfailing love we deeply desire. Let us be the men of God and now love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, have that overflow in us, just as those wives will show incredible respect toward us by having the overflow of your unfailing love in their cups. I'm going to ask all the singles in the room now to stand up. The rest of the folks in the room, please stand up if you would. And so, Father God, whether we're married or whether we're single, I, 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 I thank you because nobody in this room is incomplete. Every single person in this room, I pray that they will look to you, to your unfailing love, to fill them full, to overflow, brimming over with truth and righteousness and peace and glory and honor. I ask for forgiveness where a single person has thought and looked to another person, or if I just got married, I would be complete or I would be full. I ask you to forgive us because we're coming to you. We're seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. And so, Father God, whether we're married or whether we're single, we recognize that the only way we will ever be complete on this earth is to be full of your unfailing love. And right now, we just, we just drink it in. We just, we just breathe it in into our lives. So I thank you, God that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Even the, the words of the new song that our team has been singing the last couple of weeks, 
You are enough. You are enough. And we claim that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners right now to come down front, if you would. And maybe this morning um, you're single and you've really felt incomplete. You've really struggled. Or maybe you're married and you still feel incomplete and you're really struggling today. I want to ask you to have the courage today to let someone pray for you and to pray over you. Okay? All right. So today, why is marriage so hard? Next Sunday, why is marriage so great? See you soon. God bless you.